Blog Talk Radio. live from Brooklyn, New York, and again, it's a pleasure to have you join us. Uh, I'm so uh, much in a state of gratitude and thankfulness uh, this Sunday morning. This is August the, uh, the 7th, 2016, and indeed, we're in the summer uh, season, and, and it's really uh, one of my favorite seasons, to say the least. Um, the sun, of course, is our source for all of life, and we give thanks for the light that shines through us all. Um, we, pay, we bear witness and, and give thanks to the Most High and to our ancestors. Uh, we give thanks to Mother Nature. Uh, we give thanks to, to all the elements, water, fire, air. We embrace the essence that uh, constitutes the um, the making of us as living human beings. And we also bear reverence to all of the living animals and entities, plants, and everything that is alive. We recognize that we're all connected. Uh, this morning, again, it is my esteemed pleasure and honor to have with us uh, Brother Ifa uh, Coyote also known as uh, Brother Jonathan Hottis Edwards. Uh, he's a Brooklynite like myself, and uh, he's uh, an herbalist, an acupuncturist, writer, and diviner, uh, and blessed to, uh, to have the experience of traveling around the world and to come in close contact with several wisdom traditions. Uh, he's dedicated to sharing nourishment from their most deepest wells for the sake of vitality, clarity, and alignment. So welcome again, uh, Brother Jonathan. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much, Bobby. It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you just came back in, into town from uh, Europe, uh, namely Scotland is one of the countries you visited. Indeed, yeah. I had a three-plus-week getaway. Mm -hmm. uh, nice chance to unplug and to recharge in, uh, in uh, Scotland and in France. Just got back a week ago. Yeah. Mm. Would you care to share with us um, a little bit of your experience and your journey? Sure, yeah. I'm trying to think 
where to where to where to begin with it. Um, but the, I guess the themes the themes of the trip for me were um, kind of an ancestral work and ancestral connection has been a has been a big theme in the last several years, and mm -hmm. this trip was kind of partly partly for that purpose. Um, so that was. I was actually planning to spend the whole time in France, and just very last minute, um, <laughs> it like the ancestors intervened and yes. like, actually come over here. We're we gonna do this. Yes, so I went yes. to Scotland, kind of thought, yeah, that only came into focus really last minute, like I said, and um, that was quite a magical, quite a magical thing. I went to meet a friend who's also involved in, in the same uh, training program that I'm doing, mm -hmm. which has to do with the ancestral healing. Mm -hmm. methods and um, I showed up and we drove around for a week in northern Scotland trying connecting with some of the sites where some of our ancestors had lived and connecting with the land and connecting with the people mm -hmm. and um, it was you know it's, <laughs> ancestral work can be kind of heavy at times or people it has that reputation that you think about skulls and graves and all this type of stuff but and ancestors definitely have a sense of humor. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> my, my friend had had reserved the cheapest camper van mm -hmm. that they were able to find online. It was like 50 pounds a day or something like that instead of yeah. 100 for the other one. And we, when they went to pick it up, it turned out to be uh, like it was like a rock and roll camper van mm -hmm. rental place that was targeting university students. Oh, okay. And they had a Guns N' Roses camper van oh. for us, uh, uh. which meant that it was covered in skulls. Oh, wow. <laughs> Golden flowers. So uh, it was kind of like the perfect, the perfect ancestral mission yeah, vehicle. I, I think of the group, the Grateful Dead. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that would have been even more appropriate, maybe. But uh, it was pretty awesome because be, there's no chance of being incognito, rolling into a little Scottish village with the Guns and Roses. So we made an entrance wherever we went. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was, it was quite an amazing thing just to just to be there on the land um, and to just to, you know, do you feel? I'm sure other people have had this experience of going to a place where you've never been before and just feeling connected, feeling like you're reconnecting with some part of yourself and some part of your yeah. your, your history. Well, this that brings to mind the, the phenomenon of um, uh, understanding of the essence of reincarnation, uh, that we've been on this earth school uh, many times, and, and we tend to come back as many times as necessary to heal that part of our soul that needs to be healed, mm. and to assist each other in that healing process. So a lot of us are not really cognizant of the fact that indeed when you go to a certain area that you feel familiar right away with surroundings and you have this infinite that you've been here before. Mm. And indeed, yes, in a previous lifetime, you could have been there before. Uh, that's something that I think um, when I became... Um, aware of that concept, you know, that uh, that it really clarified a few things for me. Uh, I've only been to Jamaica, West Indies, and uh, I had that sense of deja vu, <laughs> you know. Uh, but then I have friends of mine who have traveled around, and myself being of African uh, descent, that um, there's this, this calling for me to go to Africa. And I'm thinking of West Africa, um, I had the pleasure, I think I told you, uh, Brother Maladoma Some was a guest at our home for about five days, and he needed a place to do the divinations. <laughs> so I was in correspondence with his assistant, and she says, look, if you know of anyone that uh, he would be able to spend a week with, uh, please let us know. I said, well, we have a you know, space. And before I knew it, he was with us, and he's pretty well known within certain circles. He has two books that are pretty popular, um, of Water and the Spirit and the Healing Wisdom of Africa. So I'm not going to digress anymore in that area, but I wanted to share with you an audience uh, the fact that I consider you to be um, part of that particular uh, group of, of souls that's doing the work, you know, on a very serious level. Not just uh, pontificating, as it were, but uh, walking the walk. So I, I appreciate that, and, and I'm grateful. Uh, and also the drum, I must, we were drumming earlier. We, we, uh, we start our show with the little jazz, as it were, you know, jazz number, it's recorded. And, but I feel that it's very important that the drum be the entree and, uh, and to end ceremony as it were. And this is like a ceremony. 
of life and for us to be able to share with each other and the listening audience those aspects of our life which are uh, so important, such as uh, our health uh, and our health pertaining towards your expertise in terms of uh, herbology, acupuncture, etc. So thank you for bringing your drum. And it happens to be from Brazil, am I correct? It uh, is, yeah. It's an Afro-Brazilian drum called an Atabaque. Atabaque? Atabaque, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it's a very popular drum in Brazil. Yeah, it's used in capoeira and also in Afro-Brazilian religious ceremonies of Umbanda and Candomblé uh-huh. and these things. Yeah, great, great. Uh, so going back to your trip to Europe, and specifically Scotland, um, are the people there, in your opinion, uh, more in touch with earth uh, and their health and you know are they do they live a more holistic lifestyle as opposed to oh, Americans? You know I don't know if I'm in a position to to say just from my very limited exposure in uh-huh. you know, the course of several days and I think like anywhere else it's just going to vary so much. You know, there are some people who are completely we didn't we didn't actually go there but there's this you know famous community kind of a new agey enclave called Sintorn which is kind of a legendary place in northern Scotland where there's they're doing all sorts of uh, very earth-based things and mm-hmm. all sorts of interesting spirit work. Um, so there's everything from that to, you know, Donald Trump buying a golf course or whatever else is uh-huh. going on. So it's, it's just all over the map, I guess. Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> let's not even go there. <laughs> is, is his heritage though? Is he Scottish? I don't know. I don't know? Okay. Don't know. All right, so we won't go there. <laughs> but um, I, I happen to be, spirit let me to an article featuring you uh, dealing with, the title was The Featherweight's Guide to Coffee. And uh, I thought this would be an interesting uh, topic to touch upon, being that uh, coffee is one of the most um, widely used beverages in in, uh, in, in this country. Uh, You you know, you got the Starbucks and uh, Dunkin' Donuts and uh, Burger King, McDonald's. Absolutely, yeah. It's one of the it's one of the legal, socially sanctioned drugs. Yes, you know, <laughs> we want everybody to be on that maximum productivity yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And of course, yeah. this being Sunday morning, we can guarantee that you know millions of people have, have consumed coffee. Oh yeah. And as we speak. So anyway, would you like to share? Uh, sure. I mean, I'm speaking as somebody who tends to be on the sensitive side to what goes into my system. I think mm-hmm. that's common in people in my field, in the healing arts, kind of sensitive souls. And uh, that's a blessing and a curse. You know, it's a blessing to be able to tune into things and to be able to be perceptive about the effects of things on our systems. But for me, coffee is a strong drug. <laughs> and I, I know that's true for a, lot of, for a lot of people. Not for everybody. Some people can drink a pot of coffee and go right to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this doesn't hold for everybody. For, but for a lot of people, it's a stronger substance than, than it's given credit for. Um, and, you know, it really mobilizes um, our energy and it mobilizes our nervous system. It's got a borderline sort of toxic effect on the nervous system, really. Yes. You know, people get that jangled nerve anxiety type sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a potentially useful thing as an everyday choice, definitely not suitable to all, all people or all constitutions. Mm-hmm. all phases of life sort of thing. It's not the end of the world. People can get used to a lot of things, and, and coffee is not the, the, wor- the worst of them by any means. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's important to recognize kind of the nature of the beast and what, what, it, what it does, which from my perspective is to um, kind of, I think of it like as a, in a banking terms, like it's taking, it's like it's making it, when you have coffee, especially when you're tired and you're using it because you need a boost or you need mm-hmm. a, a kick or you need to get through a long shift or whatever, it's basically mobilizing resources from your savings account and, you know, transferring to your checking account. And it feels good to have some, some cash at your disposal. Yes. So we, so we do that. But, you know, I don't know. The way I, I go back and forth, sometimes I drink some coffee and sometimes it seems to treat me pretty well. But I always find that, you know, what goes up must come down. Yeah. And if I use it to get through a late evening shift in the clinic, then the next day I usually try not to drink it so I can kind of recover and feel how depleted my system is in, in that in that moment. I usually need to rest for a few extra hours the next day and kind of balance the balance the accounts. Whereas if I go on a bender, you know, by which I mean drink coffee every day for a week or something like that, and then I stop, then the low lasts, you know, considerably longer. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, you know, using coffee to kind of flog a dead horse, there's not much left in the bank. They're using it. They're they're exhausted, and 
Uh, I mean, eventually you get to the point where it doesn't even work mm -hmm. because you've got nothing in savings to, to transfer. And then mm -hmm. you get these sort of adrenal fatigue, adrenal exhaustion type syndromes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think it's important to, to be aware of kind of the direction. It, it's bringing energy up and out so you can spend it, but it's not helpful for recharging. And if you don't include some pretty deep recharging and rest in the regimen too, then you're not on a very sustainable track. Could there perhaps be some tie-in with coffee addiction and usage and having that jittery and that uh, uh, that that uh, upper type of reaction with your body, with one having a propensity to be attracted to cocaine and aphenamines, because once, as you mentioned before, uh, fogging a dead horse, you know, you're not getting that jolt that you were looking for before. And I, I don't know if coffee serves as a gateway drug to stronger stimulants. I think a lot of people satisfy themselves with, with coffee, but um, it's, it's, all, it's all on the spectrum, I would say. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, that just came to my mind that there might be some type of correlation with that. Yeah, I mean, I think all stimulants hold a similar appeal in that way. They make us feel energetic and capable and, and good and confident, and then there's the, the price to pay is that they wore off and you've used that energy up and you don't get it back and you have to find ways to, to recharge. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, Dora and I, my wife, uh, she's upstairs. She should be down uh, momentarily to join us, hopefully. Um, we just decided last week that we were going to stop drinking coffee. And we've made this decision a couple of times since we've been married for nine years. Mm -hmm. And I think now it's really holding true. I mean, it's beginning to take some, some traction within our um, determination. Uh, we were drinking decaffeinated coffee. And I understand de decaffeinated coffee does have a certain amount of uh, caffeine in it, right? Albeit not as much as your coffee. What do you think about decaffeinated coffee? Um, I'm not super well educated on the subject. I know there's a couple of different methods that they use to decaffeinate coffee. Mm -hmm. I think some of which may involve like chemical solvents or something like that. Mm -hmm. so I think for people who are drinking coffee, you want to make sure that it's made decaffeinated. Make sure it's, you know like that there's like water process and carbon dioxide process, which I think are are better. Uh -huh. um, uh, I mean, it's definitely, I, when I drink decaf, I definitely still feel it. It has a very distinctive effect on my nervous system, but I don't get the same jolt. The same jolt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Interesting. So, so um, now we're drinking green tea and, and honey, a little bit of honey, as it were. And uh, we also started drinking um, water first thing in the morning, 24 ounces of water mm -hmm. with, with lime and apple cider vinegar. Has that been in an area that you have uh, of course of you know that path in terms of uh, holistic uh, um, healing or sure I, I think uh, it's, I think a flushing with water in the morning is a, is generally a good idea I mean I just kind of do that on, on instinct I just I'm thirsty in the morning and it just feels so good to down a big mm -hmm. big thing of water I'll just usually drink plain water with a little bit of min trace mineral stuff in it that I put in all my drinking water but um, yeah, apple cider vinegar and lemon juice can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. Himalayan salt is that something that you? Any yeah, on? any I think Himalayan salt has gotten very kind of popular in an almost faddish way, but it's good. It's good stuff. It's just it that there's lots. There's plenty of other good salts too. Any any salt that's not refined, really, any kind of natural sea salt or rock salt. Yeah, we use yeah. Himalayan salt. Yeah. After finding out that your body usually uh, normally doesn't have enough minerals in it. Yeah, the minerals are such a such a foundational. Thing and we're all, you know, from a nutritional perspective, we're all depleted in, in minerals because the soils are depleted in minerals. And even organic, uh, even the organic food we're eating, for the most part, doesn't have the same mineral content it would have 100 years ago. Uh -huh. So, yeah, minerals are something that we kind of have to go out of our way to make sure we're we're getting. And unless you're unless you live in an area that has really mineral-rich soils and you're eating out of your garden all the time or something like that, chances are you could use a little bit of help in that regard. Um, I don't, I'm not a huge, I mean, I'm an herbalist and I do take herbs, but I don't, I don't pop lots of pills or take tons of supplements or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I do take every day is to put a little bit of trace mineral solution in my drinking water and I find that it makes the water taste better. It makes my system kind of absorb it mm -hmm. better and it also just makes me kind of breathe a sigh of relief and like, ah, feel, feel yeah. more relaxed. You know, I, I do advocate that for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. yeah. What do you think about uh, water in terms of? Well, have you have you are you familiar with Dr. Emoto? Yeah, yeah, it has been. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, and he he uh, has this 
theory that water has consciousness and so forth, and that there's a, you know, and, and, and this is interesting, things that we take for granted, such as the sun, such as fire and water, you know, and I'm sure in your teachings, uh, your spiritual teachings, that there's a more profound relationship that you established, you have established with these elements. And um, uh, I don't want to delve too much into that because I know we didn't prepare to touch upon that. You know, I wanted to just extemporaneously sure. have a conversation with you since we haven't seen each other for a while and had the opportunity to, uh, to sit down and discuss. But in, in future shows, I'd like to really delve more more into these areas so that uh, myself as well as the uh, audience can really... That would be a great you know, area to explore. I feel like each of the elements has its own mystery and it has mm-hmm. its own layers of depth. And, I, you know, I'm not having necessarily penetrated to the depths of all so all of that I'm you know I, I was flattered earlier when you when you said you considered me one of these one of this group but I was like in my mind I'm like I'm like you said I'm walking the walk I'm like yeah but I'm taking like baby steps the beginning yeah. of the path yeah, of course, so, of course, of course, so I don't want to I don't want to be like yes I've all shared the wisdom of this yeah, the yeah, elements yeah. Everybody. <laughs> but of course I think the elements have so much medicine for us and relating to them many different many different ways I like to do it to do it in a um, I mean, of course, getting out in nature is there's no substitute for that. But even within the context of the city, there's so many good ways to to commune with the elements and to receive mm-hmm. healing. Um, I like to go to the Russian baths, and you know, then you get the full, okay. full, the full mm-hmm. fire and water cleansing and purification. That yes. way, through sweating and plunging in the cold and all that whole routine. So yes, there's lots we can say about the elements and, and particularly about about water, which I feel from you know from a traditional kind of animist point of view, water certainly has a spirit and certainly has uh, a, a life force. And, um, you know, different things say, different people seem to say different things about Dr. Yamoto's work, whether it's actually valid from a strict scientific point of view. But for me, the, the spirit of his work is true regardless that, that water does receive impressions that we, from, from, uh, from, the intent, from intentions and, and homeopathic uh, medicine is based on that idea of kind of water being potentized and charged with a certain wavelength, you know, a certain vibratory frequency, or I just think of it as, as informational content that sort of gets stored in water and that has an impact mm-hmm. on us. You know, you can, there's so many different ways that different, different cultures have utilized that mm-hmm. kind of receptive quality of water and, you know, praying with, praying with water, putting prayers into water and then sharing it. You know, the Christian idea of holy water is not so different either. The water is a vehicle. So I, I think water is Definitely an, an important thing to be aware of in our relationships to it. Not just how much of it we drink, but the quality and you know the the way in which we drink it. And um, yeah, it's, it's totally fundamental. Yeah, my, my wife and I in the morning when we uh, drink our water before we drink it, we give it shakti, uh, 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 reiki energy. Because you know I'm a first level reiki, hopefully to be a master before uh, uh, end of the summer. I was looking to qualify and become certified in that area. But I understand these titles, you know, they're just yardsticks, uh, ways of identifying what point A to point B sure. you are in your t- teachings or your learnings, rather. Um, but uh, water and, and, and in your area of herbology, uh, I had a book, uh, I think I loaned it to someone and it was never returned, uh, The Secret Life of Plants. And that the fact that they've proven that plants have intelligence, and, and um, I think there's even been experiments where uh, a particular species of a tree uh, would be uh, cut or something, and and on the other side of the planet, <laughs> you know, like all the species of that same tree would respond in some type of measurable uh, mm. uh, way. They were able to connect diodes or electronic uh, measuring devices to Mm. to, um, uh, verify that particular phenomenon. Uh, In your your travels, in your teachings, is this something that that you have had the opportunity to to discuss with those who are experts? Oh, it's an interesting interesting question. I'm not not sure if I've... uh, I'm not sure how best to engage with that except to say... um, I certainly think that there's, you're touching on something really deep and, and powerful, which is for me that the mystery of, of consciousness and comes for me comes back to like a very old kind of an ancient point of view, which is that con- consciousness is, is fundamental. It's not a byproduct of um, this highly advanced brain we've got. It's almost like the brain is a highly advanced uh, 
radio that's tuning into consciousness in an advanced way, but that you know, the traditional view is that consciousness is, is universal and, and fundamental and that things like rocks and, and mountains have it mm-hmm. in a certain sense. Trees and trees certainly have it. And in, in it it's a very different pace of consciousness, a very different uh, flavor of, of consciousness than what we have, but that absolutely there's an intelligence there. And for me, the, the herbal work that I do, um, you know, plants can help people on a lot of different levels. Um, but one level is to really find a deep match between the, what the, the person's situation, their wounds, their, their constitution, whatever, their, and find the plant that uh, has the right sort of teachings for that person. Like it's, it's like a, a matchmaking role of saying, what is this person, what plant is going to really resonate with this person and bring, them, bring a lot of changes to their life, not just make their rash go away or whatever, but really uh-huh. um, it's, it's deep and subtle work to sort of, to work with plants on that spirit level and find an ally for somebody that they can work with over a period of time and that will kind of catalyze changes in their life. But they might not even think to say, oh, it's the plant that did that. But if you understand who, what the plant is and, and what, it, what, what sort of powers it has, then you can say, wow, like that plant really brought that lesson to the person's life in a very powerful way over, over time and mm-hmm. things can shift really radically. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's based on the consciousness of plants from, from my point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. So your, your plants and your body uh, having the capacity to heal itself, various plants and herbs can be like an adaptogen. Can, can, catalyze, can catalyze. catalyze that. Yeah, I think working with a plant on that deep level can almost be like having a conversation with your higher self and saying, okay, this is like what we're ready to change and we're going to use this plant as like a messenger to bring, that, bring these things mm-hmm. into your life, you know. So that's why, well, from the allopathic uh, school of thought that one size fits all, uh, you know, with the synthetic drugs and the pharmaceuticals, as it were, is can be a disservice for the most part because not uh, everyone needs the same. You might have the same symptom as it were, such as you say, the rash, but that doesn't mean that you can just go to a counter and buy something that's going to get rid of that rash. Absolutely, and any kind of sort of sensitive, sophisticated, uh, natural medicine approach is going to recognize that people are different. And, and any, honestly, I think any really good Western doctor should be recognizing the same thing and not just, you know, um, 10 people with, I don't know, from, certainly from like a Chinese medicine or traditional herbal perspective, 10 people with the same Western disease diagnosis might very well get 10 completely different uh, different remedies. Like, you know, three people with stomach pain, one person um, might need to have a soothing, moistening remedy, like licorice root slain to kind of just soothe. And um, somebody else might actually have low stomach acid that can cause reflux. They need something more spicy and stimulating, or mm-hmm. they might need a digestive bitter. They're completely different types of remedies, and they might, it, it's not about the, the, the disease category, it's about sort of the energetic state of the person and, and matching it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Well, yeah, and that's another thing to think, I thought, I think of in terms of like, being here in New York, you have so many different um, diverse cultures, and with the diverse cultures, you have different diets, different uh, eating habits, and yeah. food that people are attracted to. And uh, uh, you might, uh, I know in our community, in the African American community, for years, the Chinese restaurant was a place that you would go to to eat. However, the food that they served wasn't particularly authentic Chinese. They would modify <laughs> the menu, or, or should I say, the the, the recipe to uh, satiate the the uh, uh, the desires of of the uh, American tongue, namely African American tongue. And of course, that's another conversation because going back 400 years, with our ancestors being enslaved, that we were offered the remnants of the uh, so-called slave master. So uh, indeed, those remnants would be the image of the pig, which translated into chitlins, and, and uh, of course, uh, the, the feet of the chicken and so forth. And, and, then, if, and then not being uh, knowledgeable of how to cook certain foods, such as the vegetables, being overcooked, not even contemplating eating it raw, <laughs> which now, as we fast forward, we recognize that's one of the most ideal ways of eating the vegetables and the fruits. 
from juicing to uh, blending and so forth. So one of the uh, 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 the purposes that, or should I sense of purpose that I have is to share this information uh, as much as I can um, from a humble perspective. Because I recognize that each day I'm learning more and more. <laughs> and that's why, again, not to be redundant, I, I feel that it's a pleasure to have access to a person like yourself who's dedicating their life their life towards this particular realm of, of knowledge, of herbology, which becomes more and more clear to me that this is something that needs to be universally uh, um, understood. Uh, so the coffee piece, uh, that's a non-ending conversation. <laughs> because um, between coffee and then having the, the donut, the pastry, uh, sugar, you know, let's just touch, let's segue into that, the, the sugar piece. Uh, what is your take on that in terms of uh, the need for, uh, uh, what is it, glucose? Sure, right. of course we all need, I mean, our brains run on, on, on glucose, but glucose is a, the product of digesting any starch or, you know, m most foods that we, that we eat, they turn into, on some level, some portion of it turns into glucose, mm -hmm. so we don't have to eat pure sugar to get, to get that. So it's not like white sugar is a, is a nutritional necessity by any means. I mean, it's, it's interesting to look at the history of it a little bit, and I'm not super well-versed, but just, just in broad strokes, you know, this was something that... Um, was produced in very, very small quantities as a, as a luxury item for the rich mm -hmm. at first. Um, and then with slave labor, uh, it became more and more available. Um, and it's, on one level, it's a very sinister thing. Um, on another level, I don't want to be, you know, eating a little bit of sugar here and there as part of a balanced diet. It's not the end of the world. But when mm -hmm. people's diets become more and more reliant on refined foods, it really undermines the foundation of having good nutrition, having good minerals. Eating white sugar tends to rob us of, of nutrition or rob us of minerals. Mm -hmm. um, it's, the, it's the way it works. And people, you know, people are kind of finally realizing that it's actually obesity is much more caused by sugar than it is by, than it is by fat. There's nothing wrong with fat as long as it's a good kind of fat. Yes. So, you know, a little bit of sugar here and there. I don't believe in being a hardliner about it. Okay. Um, but I, I think it's, it's, not, it's not for the daily, not for the daily consumption certainly and it's important to to realize what's at what's at stake and where where sugar is, is still coming from you know what what kind of labor is being used to produce it and it's you know all the stimulant thing all the stimulants historically whether it's coffee or tea or sugar chocolate are all coming out of this uh situation of uh uh yeah the, the labor practices to say the least are not typically what people would want to support if they, if they knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess in a nutshell, that's my take on sugar. It's not, it's not a health food. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, yeah, I guess leave it, I'll leave it at that. But, yeah. Hi, Dora. How are you doing? <laughs> good to have you with us. It's good to be yes, here. Yes, yes, yes. popping in. Uh -huh. Great, great. Well, Jonathan and I have been uh, covering quite a few things. You know you just came back. Uh, into town from uh, Europe, from Scotland. Yeah. So we discussed his uh, his trip and his experiences, and uh, we also touched upon coffee. And I told him how we had uh, decided to um, pull ourselves away from the drinking of coffee and drinking herbal tea such as green tea. And uh, maybe you'd like to share with us. Well, I just you know, often hearing the talk about about sugar, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm going to look for it, but I have I have a handout that I used to give to the attendants in my mm -hmm. forum, 50 different names of sugar, because when we're reading labels, a lot of times we don't realize the extent of sugar in what we're buying, because the name sugar is masked, if you will, by these technical terms. Right. So I have a handout, 50 different names of sugar, and it's amazing, because sugar is in everything. But there are, you know, the good sugars as well as the um, not so good sugars. And I think, you know, because our body needs sugar, you know, for energy. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't need, like, the processed, refined, you know, that's the type of sugar it doesn't need. But if you have, like, pure sugar cane or raw honey or something like that, you know, that that's fine. And, and, and to my 
marginal knowledge of the topic, um, it has a very favorable glycemic load, so you don't really have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. So that you know, so I, this is interesting that I walked in on that. But as far as like the coffee, but you know, I I think I like the aroma of coffee more so than actually partaking in it. I love the aroma. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> so I'm satisfied with that. When we recently said we were going to stop having our coffee, even though we're drinking decaffeinated, there's still caffeine in it. Right. And to a certain extent, caffeine really is not the best thing to ingest. Mm-hmm. But I can deal with the aroma. Put on a pot. I don't need to drink any. Uh, 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 really. Just get a coffee air freshener. Yeah. 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 It wasn't some, so, and that's that's kind of like how you how you can judge sometimes whether or not you really need something. If you had to have a little bit of coffee over time, the first time you had coffee, it was like, oh, well, you know, who needs this? Then at what point did you go from that feeling to having to have a cup, quote unquote, cup of Joe every morning? Yeah. You know, how did you get to that point? Because I know when I first tasted coffee, I'm thinking, you know, how can anybody drink this? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like I'm not going to say anything to people who drink alcohol because I don't, you know, I don't want to, um, I don't want to make people think, oh, well, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. Everybody should have their own choices, and I believe anything, well, most things anyway, in moderation are okay. But as you know, I don't drink alcohol, and I used to drink like wine and different mixed drinks or something like that it was popular, you know. But I remember the first time I tasted alcohol, I couldn't believe anybody could drink that stuff. The first time I tasted a beer, it was like, it, it, just, it just it's not palatable to me. Mm-hmm. So how do you go from those initial responses to now I'm drinking it all the time? Mm-hmm. Same thing with cigarettes. First time, you know, you know I had quit smoking cigarettes in 1990, so it's been years. My, my lungs are back to normal again, thank mm-hmm. God. But I remember the first cigarette I had, I choked and I wheezed and I coughed. And again, those were things I had to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. And like what makes you want to learn how to do something that would give you an initial repellent reaction. So yeah. so that's my take on these things. That's interesting. Okay. Very, very, very good take too. It reminds me of the, it's a fine line between between medicine and poison. And sometimes the dose makes the poison. Like, you know, with wine, you know, the research is suggesting that uh, a certain amount of red wine is actually good for the heart, but obviously yeah. too much alcohol is not good for anybody. Right. So, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's not always cut and dry. I, I agree. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's complicated. We need, to, we need to give ourselves pleasure. We need to, we don't need, it's not about depriving ourselves of, of anything. Right. But, um, and some of the things that are good for us in one quantity may not be good in another. They may be good for us at one time or one season of our lives and not at another. So it's all, it's all a dance as far as I'm Interesting. I like that. Mindfulness. Be mindful of Mm -hmm. how much of whatever you're doing, right? Yes. And um, just make conscious choices that if I know that this no longer reacts well with my body, maybe it did when I was 25, it no longer does, okay, so maybe I need to make another choice now and just let it go and see what I can substitute it with. Mm Hmm. Hmm. Yes, um, smoking, you mentioned that. Right, cigarette and, smoking. And, and, and I forced um, myself to learn because I wanted to feel like I was a grown-up. Right. So, okay, so in that mindset, years and years ago, you know, that might have been okay because at that age and stage, I was a kid. Yes. I was in high school. So you're going to think the way a kid would think. Okay, but then where do, where do we reach a point where it becomes an addiction. So years later, I'm in bed with the flu, and I was living alone in my own apartment. I'm in bed with the flu. I wanted a cigarette. It was the middle of winter. It was snowing, and it was 1 o'clock in the morning. And I knew at that point that I was addicted to nicotine because despite that scenario that I just painted, I wanted to get out of bed and go across the street to the all-night store and buy a pack of cigarettes. That's crazy. Did I think of it at that time that way? No. But that is what makes it an addiction. Yes, yes, yes. Okay? How do you have the flu and you want to smoke a cigarette at all, let alone get up in the middle of the night 
to go across the street to buy something because mm-hmm. you don't have any. That's just, I can't label it any other way. That's just plain crazy. Mm-hmm. But that's what makes it an addiction. Yeah, yeah. well, we, we uh, all have, I know I smoked a pack a day at one time when I was a young man. Then I used to drink, you know. And I smoked marijuana, which leads me into this uh, other topic that I happened to uh, uh, go to Google and, and discovered that Jonathan, you uh, were very instrumental in uh, the discussion of uh, the herbal, what is it, imaginarium, um, conversation of herbal, uh, well, the digestion of, of herbs such as marijuana. Is it, it is an herb, right? Sure, it's a, it's a plant. It's a, some people consider it a medicine. It has medicinal uses. It's 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 a, it's a medicine. It's a poison. It's many things. Uh-huh. Many people. Because yeah. <laughs> I know when I was smoking marijuana, I had friends of mine who were practicing certain spiritual uh, endeavors. Uh, those from the Rastafarian community used marijuana as a sense of ritual, uh, and then those of us who wanted to use it as a, a means of recreation, as a recreational uh, endeavor, and then there are those of us who wanted to escape. And to fill good, such as what alcohol is used for and other types of drugs. Now we're fast forwarding to the day where we have uh, uh, medical marijuana. And uh, of course, uh, there's a political discussion about what happened to those of us who are African Americans, especially the men, uh, through the Rockefeller laws. We won't delve into that right now, but there are uh, hundreds of thousands, and in some schools of thought, maybe million, uh, a million plus people in prison because of being uh, arrested with a minimal amount, a very small amount of marijuana on their possession, not even with the intent to sell. So uh, I'm very optimistic that those laws are going to be reversed and people will be be released. But more importantly, um, the fact that uh, they are now um, embracing the, the school of thought that there is medicinal uh, benefits of uh, using marijuana. Would you care to uh, share with us your, your take on that? Sure, and I think it's important just to be upfront about the fact that my my kind of thinking about, about cannabis and marijuana comes out of a long history with it myself, you know, mm-hmm. smoking it in high school and into college and, and beyond. And um, for me, it was, it, was a, it was a real relationship. I think of it in the same way I think of like a romantic relationship. Like it was we were lovers, you know, it, was like we, it, it went sour after a certain point and had to end. But, like, I think back on it, and it's, there's a lot of different emotions that come up. Um, at first, it was really, really magical. And, like, the first, time, the first time I smoked, it was just, like, entering this magical, like a portal to a magical realm. And it was just, I was, in a sense, I was immediately hooked. Because it was so such a beautiful experience, and like I don't think even this, I don't think it was ever as beautiful as it was the first time. It's like it's like it dangles the, the carrot in front of you, so you keep going, and, and then the deeper you get into it, the, the more elusive that becomes, and the more the fogginess and the heaviness and the stickiness and the paranoia and all these other things yeah. come to play. But by that point, you know, as somebody who was so young at that time, it kind of became part of who I was or who I was presenting myself to be. You know, it's a, that becomes your identity and your social group, and it's difficult to extricate yourself. It was, I always found it difficult to extricate myself from. Mm-hmm. I actually took a relationship with a, with a woman, a young woman in college, mm-hmm. who wasn't comfortable with it, and I had to kind of say, who, who's it going to be? Uh-huh. And I chose her, and then I left it. I was able to leave it behind. And there was some flirtations again. Mm-hmm. At this point, I actually kind of, I'm kind of repelled by it, because I just, I don't even like the smell of it anymore mm-hmm. so much. Right. It's, uh, at least the smell of the smoke, I just find it it doesn't. It doesn't agree with me at all anymore. Likewise. So it, it's very much. It's very that relationship's over for me. But um, I recognize the allure of it. You know, it's it's very seductive. It's a very sexy. It's a very sexy plant. And I think you know, it's got whole magazines devoted to it. Yeah. Close-ups of its buds. It's basically the sexual organs, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's, uh, it's 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 got real power, and it's got. Uh, it's just I don't want to say one thing or another about it because it's it's complicated. You know, mm-hmm. it it can be the right thing for certain people at the right time, but I think it's very easy to go down the wrong track with it and, and become for it to become abused. Um, I think one of the you know of course it does have medicinal benefits for glaucoma and for pain and for certainly palliative care at end of life. I think it's cancer. Yeah, cancer. Mm-hmm. But and then beyond that, I think it's got a real power as 
kind of an initiatory substance, you know, and this whole topic of initiation is something that we could talk about. Uh, I think uh, it's an important one to, to talk about maybe at some point. Um, but, uh, you know, our, our, our culture is kind of lacking in rites of passage and initiation rites to kind of open us up to other levels of reality and take us to the next phase of life. And then I think we all subconsciously seek seek those rituals and rites of passage at certain times in our life. It's time for something to happen, but the outer culture isn't providing us with opportunities for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people turn to different substances out of a desire for that, especially substances that are more psychoactive. You know, mm -hmm. marijuana is not a strong psychedelic, but it can still be a mind-bending thing, especially for people who aren't accustomed to it. It becomes kind of less and less interesting the more you do it, I think, and more just kind of a, a haze. Um, but especially at the beginning, it can really open up some, some doors in the mind. You know, um, people can sink deeper into their bodies or deeper into sensory experience. They can have experiences of time and language and all these things that we take for granted and sort of start to question some of their assumptions about reality. And there can be something positive in that. Um, but I, I think it's a tricky one because it, it kind of it does open up some of those doors. Like I like to say, like it opens up the curtain so you can see through into another realm, another way of being, and then it also kind of fogs up the window pane. <laughs> so like you kind of get a glimpse, but you can't see anything clearly, and the, the more you do it, the more foggy it gets. So it, it, it gives you a glimpse, and then you have to find ways to do it mm -hmm. on your own, because it's not going to provide, it's not going to provide a, a, an answer that, that's sustainable from, from my perspective. But it can, it can, even just that first use, if I, if I could go back and have a conversation with my younger self, I would probably counsel myself yeah, try it, you know, um, but be aware of when it's, if it's, if when it becomes a trap, and if it's, if it's actually serving you after a certain point, if I could, if I could have convinced myself to stop after the first time, just to have that one experience, but who can stop after that one experience, right, so it's, 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 it's tricky, it's tricky like that, and I'm not advocating that everybody should go out at age 13 and, you know, go get high, but um, we, people are going to have that, that impulse to open those doors and in the minds. And I think it's important that as a culture we develop ways to, to do that in more responsible, to recognize that drive and, and to kind of harness it and to do it in, through, through ritual and, and in guided ways with, with you know, responsible elders involved and that sort of thing. Yeah, and that's, that's, I think, the, the key is, is to having uh, the guidance and people who are responsible uh, I know that in certain communities and certain families, uh, the, the little baby is given a, a little uh, case of the wine or even the hard liquor, for that matter, mm -hmm. or beer, and uh, just so they can um, so initiate it into the culture mm -hmm. that, that the family is practicing. And then sometimes it, it's used to put them to sleep, <laughs> uh, which is a negative uh, uh, practice, as it were. But indeed, uh, some cultures, such as the Rastafarian and, and, and the Native American indigenous communities, they will use um, wheat or uh, certain um, uh, plants as a mode of initiation. Um, and I think that's something that this discussion is happening more and more about, uh, relating to that, that, uh, that area of rites of passage and initiation. I think that's something that's very much needed. Um, and and uh, these plants, as, as sac looking at them as sacraments, because yeah. I think that you know these these plants that we've that are so stigmatized in our in our culture, all these psychoactive plants from cannabis to mushrooms to other to other things are uh, traditionally viewed as magical and sacred, and they're they can absolutely be abused and they can be misused, but they they play a role of connecting us in. With with other other orders of, of reality that is I think indispensable and part of the human human nature to want to engage with. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was very attracted to the book uh, the teachings of Don Juan, Carlos Castaneda. I don't know. Have you heard of that one? Uh, I think I have a couple of their writings. The, writing. the, in, the infamous the infamous Castaneda books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, the peyote and mushrooms, and, mm -hmm. and of course Timothy Jerry with uh, LSD, mm -hmm. and whatnot. And I was in college in that period, and, and, and had uh, the experience of people who um, were very uh, careful and, and very uh, mindful of the sacredness of, of that particular journey. 
So I'm not going to delve more into that right now, but uh, that's something that uh, a lot of people have fear about. And there's no fear, there's no reason to have this fear once you become more knowledgeable that that is a, a natural inclination for us to want to seek the, uh, the connection with the highest source. And it's such an interesting and rich topic. I, I guess I tend to think that there is or maybe a good reason to be fearful there because um, anytime you're opening those doors, there's a possibility of an, of a, of an accident happening. Not yeah. so much with, not so much with, with cannabis. You don't hear about, about most people having kind of traumatizing experiences, but with more powerful psychoactive ways of, of you know, initiations, there's, there's always some risk, I think. Right. Um, and people are, sense the possibilities and they also sense the risks and it's very triggering. Yeah, there, there's some people who are not meant to drink alcohol, you know, consuming uh, uh, type of a, a stimulant because of the predisposition. And not just necessarily in this current uh, life, this incarnation, but based on previous incarnations and then determining why you're here, what is it the reason, what is your purpose? And if you've experienced certain things in previous incarnations, incarnations such as being a substance abuser, abuser uh, having a mental illness, and, and that's carried on into the present, you know, then of course, no, you don't need to be dealing with any type of, of, of a stimulant that can just uh, reset what you recently experienced. And, um, and that's where you have the need for people to have readings, you know, the, the, the divinations serve that purpose, right? far as ascertaining who are you, you know, why are you here? And uh, I think that that's a discussion that, that can be, you know, uh, delved into very deeply and, and not in just one, one, uh, one show. So hopefully we can, uh, of course, uh, you know, delve into that area of conversation. With the marijuana, I believe that our viewpoints are going to be heavily affected by what we see or the people we know, the politics of it. And it's, it's a touchy subject. I'm, I'm going to actually take a stand. People don't like to take a stand a lot nowadays, mm -hmm. but I'm going to take a stand and say I'm totally against it and qualify it by saying, um, and you know me, I'm not afraid to... My opinion, like me, not like me, whatever it is, what it is, right? And the reason I say that is, okay, first of all, my own personal experience with marijuana, I tried it, and I had told my husband this. Two months ago, we were talking about it, I had told him this, that I tried it, and um, my reaction to it was that it made me exhausted. All I wanted to do was go to sleep, go to sleep, and when I woke up, I was starving, and I could eat everything in sight. And so I formed my opinion on that, that what a waste. What a waste. But that was my personal experience with it. I couldn't see paying for something that's going to knock me out. I sleep quite well on my own, thank you very much. I don't need anything to knock me out. And then I wake up and I'm starving. Right. So, but, but then, even on a broader base than that, um, friends of mine who did partake as well as a family member who I'm not going to mention because that's not fair to them. They're not here to tell their story, but I'll just say a family member. You know, marijuana is known as a gateway drug. Mm -hmm. And people yeah. will then look to, I guess after you get used to it, you look to something stronger or better or, you know, however you want to put it. And in that respect, I think it's counterproductive. I think it is very dangerous. I understand in different spiritual communities about them using it. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the layperson, you know, the, the kid in your school that, you know, might have caught wind of people who had it available and now they start smoking. Now they're cutting out of school and they're doing things so that they can get it. And I think that's more widespread than people in a religious community using it as a rite of passage. So that's so from my standpoint, I think it's counterproductive because if you if you are involved in a spiritual community where it's used, that's a microcosm. Okay, that's that's not causing, you know, these these global conditions of, you know, of people getting hooked on on other narcotics based on their initial experiences with marijuana. So I'm kind of separating spiritual use 
from the secular use of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, in that respect, I'm totally against it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because there is no, there is no um, safety hinge when you, when you get it from a friend at school or whatever. There, there is no, um, there is no way of telling whether it's mixed with something harmful and then children are dying because of that. There, there's no safety hinge. There's no checks and balances in that respect. So it's, it's a way different, um, Play different game than a spiritual community where they're actually doing the checks and balances. It is done under supervision. You know, people have knowledge of, you know, you, it could take you there and just be aware you might not come back. You know, and even though those instances may be far and few between, it's reality and it, you know, yeah. so that's my opinion of it. One other thing I'd maybe like to, to add about it, and I do think it's, again, I, I think it can affect different people differently, and it's a complicated thing. I, I do think there's a lot of drawbacks. Um, I, I also think it's, it's something that's become so, in a lot of circles anyway, really just accepted and, and kind of it's considered like innocuous or kind of a joke that, mm -hmm. it can, that, can, that can actually be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it has some subtle but kind of insidious qualities that I don't think always get recognized because they, they creep up on you over time. Right. And you know it's kind of you know people people do say this like it it takes away your motivation and this kind of stuff and it, it tends to it tends to open you up to lots of possibilities you know people will get high and have lots of ideas and uh, but it, even as it even as it maybe kind of inspires you it, it kind of slowly erodes your ability to actually carry it out yes so you get the kind of classic like stoner on the couch who doesn't actually get up and put any of the plans into action mm -hmm. from a Chinese medicine perspective. Um, it's kind of eroding the liver yang, which is kind of like the the general who can actually go march and put put stuff into practice. You know, mm -hmm. it's like it, it just kind of erodes that that capacity in us. And over time, that can really um, that can take a long time to rebuild. Mm -hmm. You know, so actually, I'm interested in kind of um, I think herbs herbs have a good capacity to kind of detoxify that kind of insidious toxicity that marijuana can have, and to help kind of rebuild some of those. I think of it as like a, it's also very sticky, you know, the resin of it is actually is very literally sticky and it also kind of gums us up in a sense, kind the of THC. mentally. Yeah, the THC and, all, and, and many other compounds, um, kind of, uh, it kind of tangles, you know, there's like those classic illustrations of the spider web, there's a spider, they gave it this drug and they gave it that drug and the spider web gets all screwy. And mm -hmm. I think of like the mental web and the web of our, it's, you know, like one thing I experienced with it is it makes it hard to follow the thread. Mm. It's hard to keep, it's hard to, you know, it's a classic thing, it messes with your memory, right? It's hard to follow, it's hard to keep track of things in yes. a certain way. It kind of just, you, you lose that capacity that you take for granted and you realize like, oh, I'm having trouble keeping things straight. It's like, at one point I, I just got so turned off from it because I, I noticed that when I would smoke, I would, it was like, jarring and I would lose the threads of my life. I would just kind of like get confused for what the, the track that I was on. I have to like really make a concerted effort to get back on, get back on the track. So I do think it, it gums that, that up and it tangles the threads up. And uh, I do think herbally speaking, there, there are ways to kind of help untangle and comb out the snarls and kind of recover yes. from that. And that if you don't, that, that, that can actually be a very long lasting effect even after you stop smoking because it does go in deep and it, it's sticky and it can stick around for a long time. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's yeah. good to hear that there's an antidote for it because, it, you know, because it can just really affect your long-term possibilities. Yes. Yes. The, the, the um, herbal piece is something that I'm curious to find out with your herbal walks. And uh, I, I think I told you, Dora and I, went on a, a walk about, was about four a years ago. A couple of years ago? Oh, was that long ago? Three or four years yeah, ago. They went on a friend of mine, his wife, who is a midwife, she practices primarily in the West Indies, Jamaica, and other, other neighboring countries. But when she's in town, she does walks in Foster Park as well. And uh, I was excited when he told me a couple of days ago that we were uh, doing a, a walk. I think that was yesterday. Yeah, I just did it yesterday morning, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I envision Dora and I being, you know, uh, with you, one of your many walks hopefully in the future. And um, what, I, I, what I envision is people uh, taking 
the manual, if you will, or the initiative to learn about herbs and, and have them walks. And before you know it, you have people in the community at large going to parks in upstate New York, Bear Mountain, identifying herbs, <laughs> you know. And, oh, there's so and, much medicine all around us all this, the time. You know, and food, too. You food, know. Yeah. I could there have made some in our yard that we don't know about. Yeah, well, I could have, I could have found twenty. Know. I could have found, I could have found twenty people from the Wild Greens that uh, yeah. brought their bark. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but when we call weeds in the backyard, we found out that they're actually edible uh, food. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, I was just thinking that I could just grab something, but we have uh, an enclosed leaves that we picked up from the park. We didn't take the time to label them. But uh, uh, I'm just excited about the fact of being able to go into a backyard and identifying, you know, like a dandelion uh, plant and knowing what the benefits are in terms of consuming it. And, and uh, I'm just, I'd like to know, what is your, your uh, feelings about this, this excursion of knowing that just in our backyard and in parks we're able to really feed ourselves and I mean, it's such a it's such a basic thing and a basic thing that humans have been doing forever and that we've just only really recently kind of lost touch with. I mean, in a lot of places, you don't have to be an herbalist to be able to recognize 10 or 20 plants in your in your area. But these days, especially in the city, people just, they never got taught. They, they don't look, they don't pay attention. It's just gotten lost so quickly. And, and it's really empowering to, re, to reconnect. People like to, I mean, I, 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 when I take a walk, I can... Every walk for me is an herb walk, right? I'm always, like, I'm always looking around at the plants, and it's like, I was like, oh, there's my friend over there, there's my other friend over there. It's like, oh, and once in a while you'll meet a new friend. You know, there's always another plant to get to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, if you feel connect, I feel connected. I also feel empowered that I can come here and get food, and that food may actually be more tasty and more nutritious than anything I could buy. And I can come and for lots of different uh, things, from a bee sting to a toxic liver to this or that, there's so many plants that are just there for us. Mm-hmm. And why shouldn't we, why shouldn't be, you know, there's no reason not to be working with them and to get to know them. It's, it's fun, it's, it's healthy, it's, it's just a win-win situation. It's mm-hmm. free. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we're coming to the end of our show. And uh, I, uh, again, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to visit us. And, mm-hmm. You on our show, and we're looking forward to future shows, and you sharing your your wisdom and experience about herbology, and uh, perhaps you can touch upon acupuncture uh, in terms of how your business and your your um, treatment of, of patients is, is going on, and, and that progress in that area. So again, thanks a lot, Jonathan. Thanks so much for having me. It was a long trek to get here, but it, it was worth it. We, we live about 10 feet away. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be back. I look forward to, that, to the next, to continuing the conversation. And again, uh, this is Barbara Wesley Gray speaking to you from Brooklyn, New York. And of course, be sure to uh, visit our website at www.drumsofchange.com. Uh, there you'll be able to purchase. Uh, uh, drums and other uh, items, uh, musical instruments. And also, before I forget, Don Jonathan, please share with the listening audience how they can get in contact with Sure, you. absolutely. I have a, a acupuncture and herbal practice, also do some divination work. Um, you can find me online at axismundihealingarts.com. And I'll spell that as A X I S M U N D I, axismundihealingarts. Com. I'm also at Brooklyn Acupuncture Project in Gowanus for uh, community acupuncture treatment yes, three, yes, three days a week. Yes, yes. And do you have a number that they can call? Uh, um, sure. Why don't people get on the website and, and email me that okay. way? Yeah. Good, good, wonderful. Okay, so again, thank you so much for being with us, and uh, we look forward to you visiting us again, and have a pleasant day.